you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Leviticus. As you're turning there, just a reminder, especially if you're visiting for August, uh, back in May sometime, we invite the congregation to send in topics, questions that they may have about just various things of theology um, or of the Christian faith uh, that they either would like to hear taught, preached upon in the pulpit, um, just things that they're wrestling with. And we take all those and we look at, look at those topics and see if there's any themes and we decide um, uh, which would, you know, be the best for an August series, and this is what we're doing. So we're in week four of our August topical series. You can look at what the questions have been. I think it's back there on page 12 or 13, and uh, we'll wrap that up next week as Jamie preaches to the question of, are all sins the same, or are some worse than others? And then the following Sunday, September 9th, we'll start our fall series, which I was reminded that I haven't even announced yet. So uh, but uh, we'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7. And as is our practice for our fall series and winter-spring series, if, it, if we can do it, we will have readers available with the, um, uh, the dates corresponding to the text that will be preached. So you can have uh, that daily time with God plan that we um, have offered to you all as a tool to dive more into uh, the Word of God personally. But that will be begin September 10th, and so just a little bit of looking forward. Uh, but for our time this morning, the question uh, that we are looking at is, uh, what, what's the point of the um, Old Testament festivals or feasts, and do they have any bearing on our lives today as Christians? And so with that, let us go to Leviticus 23, and I'm not going to read all of chapter 23. These are selective readings, uh, but uh, chapter 23 of Levit Leviticus is where you will find um, the uh, pronouncement to Israel, a command to Israel to hold these feasts and to, um, and, and to know them and to uh, honor them. So here we go. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations, they are my appointed feasts. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Verse 9, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring uh, the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Verse 15, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. Verse 22, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. 
I am the Lord your God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. Now on the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Verse 34, And on the fifteenth day of this seventh month, And for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Verse 37, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Amen. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that you would, by your Spirit, graciously open our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not. We pray that you would do this for your glory, that you would change us as your word goes out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about an event in your life that really shaped or changed you, Uh, maybe something you look back on. Uh, If we think about that individually, it could be maybe an anniversary or a graduation, something that, a a milestone, if you will, in your life that um, just holds significance for you. For some, it could be the birthdays of our children. Maybe it's our own birthdays. We're just so happy that we're here. And we are the blessing to the world, and so we are excited about our birthdays, and we, we mark time by that, and we celebrate that. Um, it could be more serious matters. Maybe for some in here, it's sobriety, that there is a day when you gave up uh, what was uh, so, so much of an addiction to you in various forms. And on that day, you've counted days as to the day that you have been clean and freed from those things. We could go on with this. We individually have these moments, these events in our lives that really do change us and have changed us. We also have these events corporately as well as a culture. You can think about maybe holidays like Thanksgiving where we take time to be with family and, and celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, maybe it's the independence of our country, 4th of July. Uh, we tend to do a good job of celebrating freedom. We like freedom here. Uh, but actually, uh, one that's come to mind recently that we'll be reflecting on in a couple weeks is that of 9-11. And I think that for our time and place, there probably isn't an event such as that event that has changed and shaped your lives more than what happened on 9-11. All to say, there are events in our life, and then there are events And it's these events that are the ones that I'm speaking towards that have shaped you, that have impacted your life, that have changed your life for the better or worse. Well, when we come to this text this morning where God gives Israel, interesting enough, marked time 
to celebrate, remember, right, and even anticipate his future blessing, it is those major events in Israel's life that he is pointing towards. He wants them to remember. He wants them to celebrate. And he wants them to anticipate those events and what they promise. So he appointed them the sacred times. In other words, these events, these festivals and feasts, and you'll hear those words interchangeably, feast or festival, same thing, would be the way that Israel would live out its theology. Because it marked the time of those events in which God rescued his people, claimed them for himself, and redeemed them. Now, before we get started, last week we looked at Scripture, and we looked at how do we interpret Scripture, and can we trust it? And we ended last week just asking the question, why do you want to interpret Scripture? And I argue that that, that the part of, or the main reason to interpret Scripture is, is to know God. It's to take the Bible on its own terms. And I didn't plan it this way, but this is actually a really great test case our case study of how we take the Bible on its own terms so that we may know what God has said to us about himself. And I don't know if I could plan it this way because I wouldn't think about going to Leviticus and I wouldn't think about having a sermon on feasts. So thank you for that question, whoever you are out there. But there isn't a better example for understanding who God is than to look at these feasts that we're about to look at. So let me just offer that to you this morning as we do this. So we'll look at these together, and then with the time remaining, we'll look at the implications of these feasts, okay? This is a lot of information. Uh, all of these feasts individually could be a sermon in and of themselves. And then you can also go to seminary and spend four years uh, unpacking the theological implications of what these feasts are pointing towards. And I'm just going to do that for you in about 25, 30 minutes, okay? So with that, your laughter tells me you give me grace in this. I appreciate it. So let's look at the feast, and we'll look at implications for that with our time remaining. As we started out in Leviticus 23, we noted the context for those feasts, which was the Sabbath, Sabbath rest. Everything begins and ends with the understanding that not only weekly, but actual annual rest from Israel's labors was wrapped up in the story of who they were. Sabbath, among other things, always pointed to Israel's solemn rest and the one true God and not themselves, and for that true God to provide for them, to care for them. The ultimate practice of theology and faith for Israel in this way is to say that we will physically demonstrate that all belongs to the Lord, that he is fully in charge, and that he is mighty good and gracious to care for us by completely removing ourselves from the picture and resting on that day. Nobody was doing this. Nobody did this. But of course, what had God done? And more importantly, what was Israel trusting or resting in? And this gets to the feasts. The first one there that we read about is called the Passover, and this one might be very familiar to you. The beginning of the year for Israel was marked by this first festival or feast, beginning of verse 5. The Passover was celebrated in the first month, believed to be about March or April, on the 14th day, and it reminded Israel of how the Lord rescued them from Egypt. 
and led them from slavery or captivity in Egypt to himself. Passover also remembers the judgment as well that God had over Egypt and any who were not, what, marked out by the blood of the lamb that was spilled and then supposed to be put on the doorposts of those Jews. According to Exodus 12, if you want to go back and read about the Passover, only those marked by the blood uh, would the Spirit of the Lord pass over. This moment in Israel's history, this exodus from Egypt, as I have said before, was the defining act of redemption for God's people in the Old Testament. And it makes total sense that this would be the first place, the first festival of the year, because it primarily reminded Israel's people of who they were, of a rescued people, of a delivered people by God. This is one of seven of, uh, or sorry, one of three of the seven major feasts here that we're going to look at where everyone was required to go. And those who didn't attend, as we read throughout uh, Leviticus and, of course, in other sections of the Pentateuch, uh, especially uh, this feast here, if you didn't attend, you were uh, considered cut off from the people of God. So there's a warning here as well. And because by not attending the festival, by not attending the feast, you were essentially uh, denying the very things that it represented, which was the Lord's salvation and his deliverance, all right? So this is the Passover, Passover feast. Again, this marked the beginning of the calendar year for Israel, and it was centered around their agrarian lifestyle. The very next day after Passover and for seven days would, be, would start the festival or the feast of unleavened bread. This would be on the 15th day. This festival lasted seven days. Being right after Passover, these two uh, festivals essentially went together. Likewise, everyone was required to attend. The festival of unleavened bread uh, celebrated the same thing as Passover, but with a different emphasis, which was this, new beginnings. New beginnings. And how so? Well, as God's holy and set-apart people, nothing of their old life, as it were, would come into or be a part of their new life as his people. They were starting over. Included in these commands, as we read, was that all leaven was to be left behind. And that's an interesting item to, to mark there, isn't it, right? Of all the things that you're to, to leave behind, which was most of their things, we're going we're gonna to acknowledge leaven. Why? Well, in many ways, this, this was life. This was culture. This was food, sustenance. This was how we lived. And, uh, you know, you, you might have one of those moments where you think about if, if there was a fire in your house or you had five minutes to, to go in and get something before, you know, everything was destroyed. You might think about a photo album. You might think about, I don't know, a baseball card collection. You'd probably grab Levin. Because you didn't know where you'd be going, but you knew if you had it, right, you could start, you, you, could make more, you could make more sustenance. And so in some ways, it was sort of the essence of life where they were. And what God is saying is that you will leave that behind because you are starting something new with me. It was a clean break. Tied up into this, was the, the spiritual excuse me, significance of this, that it wasn't just the, the, the physical things that you were leaving behind. It wasn't just you coming into uh, to, to be my people, to rely on me for physical sustenance, right? There's a spiritual component to this too. But the old ways, the sin of my people wrapped up in the, in the image of slavery, 
right, would now be transformed as a holy, set-apart people, which is what unleavened bread represented. As John Cinema writes, unleavened bread taught Israel that delivered people were a holy people. Free not only in name, but truly unleavened from the enslaving power of sin and idolatry and called to live that way. Unsurprisingly, during the festival or feast of unleavened bread, one ate unleavened bread. But also, they did this as a way to remember their new life as redeemed people. This is the feast of unleavened bread, and it lasted for seven days. So this is how Israel started the year. We started maybe uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, those kinds of things, eating black-eyed peas, something like that. Uh, this was their calendar year, remembering the way that they, remembering that they served and they worshiped a God who was mighty to save and who had rescued and redeemed them as his own people. And these two festivals highlighted the power and mercy and the faithfulness of God to do what he had promised to do. Following unleavened bread then gets us to the third festival, that of first fruits. This was the, the, um, the festival where and it didn't happen until they got, actually got into the land of Canaan. But following Passover and unleavened bread, the, the, the next day after that final Sabbath, they would bring from the field, which would be typically a barley harvest at this point, because that would harvest first. They would bring the first fruits of that harvest into the temple, to Jerusalem, uh, to be given as an offering. And we touched on this a little bit when we talked about tithing at the beginning of August. But the purpose of this festival, as Jay Scar writes, was for Israel to proclaim, You, Lord, have been faithful to your covenant promises, delivering us from oppression and slavery, giving us this land which flows with milk and honey, and blessing us with these good gifts for food. Along with the sheep, as we read here, the offer was to present a sheep without blemish, one year old, and for a whole burnt offering, to, and make it to, as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. So only after this offering was made of first fruits and, and of the one-year lamb without blemish could then grain be consumed by all of Israel. Again, Jay Sklar notes, thankfulness is one of the first emotions to evaporate. This requirement made sure that the Israelites gave proper thanksgiving and honor to their bountiful king before enjoying his generous provision. Along with this first fruits, we recognize also the costliness of this. When you go and you take that harvest, you're saying, I'm trusting that there's going to be another one that's going to come behind it. And so in many ways, this harvest and this land for sure were costly to the people. And it was a way that they would give back to the Lord what was most costly and most valuable to them as well. But this festival wasn't just a reminder of the past. It wasn't just a reminder of God's provision for the present. It was actually uh, one of the main festivals that pointed to the future, right? that, and that allowed them to anticipate the ongoing promises of God to provide and, be, and to be, be good to his people. If the first fruits of the harvest were prom had promised anything, it promised a second harvest to come behind it. So Israel then saw this festival as a taste of what was to come, but now for them in God's provision, but not just for them in God's provision, but also to see themselves as the first fruits of what God was doing in the world to create this new community, to create this new world uh, that he was redeeming. 
Israel then was to see themselves as the first fruits. It is as if God is saying, yes, I'm providing for you physically, Israel, but in the form of what? Food. But look at what I'm providing spiritually in this new world as you come in and as you be my people and as your mission goes out into the world. This is first fruits. Much more could be said. Fourthly, though, let's get to the festival of weeks or also known as Pentecost. Israel within counts seven full weeks after the festival of first fruits. And this had a little bit of what we might think about uh, of Christmas as, as it pertains to anticipation. Right? You would have uh, almost like a holiday effect of, of marking something on the wall or the calendar, as it were, that, that said, here, here are the days leading up to this festival, because this is one of the biggest, biggest festivals that there is. And so 50 days, right, seven Sabbaths, and, and the importance of this is because the number seven is, is, is the number of completion in the Old Testament, and it pointed to God's fullness and his completion of, of, of what he's doing. This is also referred to as Pentecost because it's the 50th, what, that's what Pentecost means, 50th day from that, that, this previous festival. And that ties into Israel's uh, receiving the law, which after they left Egypt, 50 days, met at Mount Sinai and received God's law. So there's a lot of things tying together into this festival. But as I said, it is uh, one of the biggest uh, festivals, or we might just say it, it, was, it was a massive party. Food, drink, the whole thing. Families marked it, as we mentioned thinking about when this would arrive and why, because of what it was celebrating, God's good gifts to his people. Among other extensive sacrifices and offerings, verse 17 notes an offering of bread made with yeast. The grain offering here was a new grain kneaded into two loaves made with yeast, a sign of the goodness of the new land of milk and honey and the new world to come in which sin would not corrupt. Furthermore, as we noted in our reading, verse 22 concludes by repeating what is already said in Leviticus 19. You can go read that later. But this was God's generosity law and the way that he worked out mercy and justice in the land by requiring those who would harvest at this time to not go to the edge of their field, but to leave some there so that the widow and the fatherless and the sojourner could glean themselves and have something to eat. And what this underscored in the festival is it's not just coming to remember and celebrate, right? But it's actually being uh, participants of, or should we say, uh, taking on the, father, the, the fatherly likeness of being givers themselves as a way to honor the Lord in, in, in this provision. Like giving back, serving to others was a way that, that Israel honored the Lord in this case, okay? So this was the fourth of seven. Uh, the close of this festival week's was the halfway point for the year. All right, you still with me? Hang in there. This is a lot. We've got three more to go, but they're going to be brief. So this was the halfway point. The second half of the year held the remaining three major festivals, the first starting out with what? Complete rest and trumpet blasts. I wasn't ready for that. This is a new one to me. Trumpet blasts, what is this? Verse 24, speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpet. Suffice it to say, what this festival was about was, was a reminder, an announcement of the goodness and favor that God had upon his people. 
It was not just a time for them to remember what God has done, but, but also to cry out to God by the trumpet blast that he would continue to remember them, while at the same time announcing to Israel who they were, what all these other feasts and festivals had already lived out and shown them. Remember this. Remember who they were. And as this leads into what would be one of the biggest festivals of the seven, then 10 days later, which is the Day of Atonement, what more could we announce, or could they announce, I should say, than what was coming down the road for them in atonement, or what we call Yom Kippur today. This was a massive festival that everyone, again, was required to attend, and for good reason. This is where atonement was made for one's sins. To not participate would, again, result in being cut off from the people of God. And why? Because not only was atonement made for God's people here, but failing to observe it was an act of denying the Lord's holiness and or their own sinfulness. Those who did not participate were assured, or sorry, those who did participate were assured of the Lord's forgiveness and willingness to cleanse them from their sin and make them whole so that they could walk in fellowship with God. The Day of Atonement was so important, there's an entire chapter in Leviticus devoted to it, chapter 16. More than all the other feasts, this one displayed the holiness of God and the requirement, right, of blood to be spilled in a substitutionary way for the forgiveness of sins. One can see then how 10 days earlier, how the festival of trumpets not only reminds Israel of God's favor, but what readies them for the good news to come and God's forgiveness on the day of atonement. Lastly, the festival or feast of booths or tabernacles is another translation, which would commence five days after atonement of the fifth day, or the 15th day, or the, of the seventh month, and the last seven day, and it would last seven days, excuse me. The name derives from uh, the temporary shelters that Israel dwelled in as they were wandering in the wilderness after they left Egypt. Having atoned for sin, Israel then celebrates God's dwelling with his people and the new community created by God because of this. Passover, Unleavened bread, first fruits, weeks or Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and booths. There'll be a test later, so I hope you took good notes. Um, I hope you're taking in as well that it seemed like Israel did a lot of resting and a lot of celebrating and a lot of enjoying life, a lot of, should we say, living out the identity of the very word that God had given them as his people. And that's what these festivals do. Thus, as Leviticus 23 concludes, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food, food offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper day. Okay, so that's a lot. These feasts or festivals were the practice of Israel's theology, as I said. What a wonderful sermon series to take each of these on their own terms. Can't do that here, so let me leave you with a few implications uh, for you to chew on over lunch as we land this plane. If you're thinking about these festivals, the first thing I want you to think about and the things that you've heard in just the, 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 you know, the brief time that we've had here to look at these, is that these feasts, these festivals highlight Primarily, the character of God. So we said earlier, you want, you want to know God, you want to take, take God on his own terms. That's how we read the Bible. 
This is what he wants to tell you. This is what he wants to tell you about himself. This is how he wants to be known. And we can look at that in dialogue. We can look at that in lecture. But what I love is that God also included the practice of this in what seems to be a very fun and celebratory way. Go and do this. Go celebrate for seven days and know my character through this. And what is that character, right? It is his faithfulness and remembering the ways that he has redeemed his people. It is his mercy and calling the people who didn't deserve it to be his people. But it's his protection and his provision as he brings them into the land as his people. And then the anticipation of his continued faithfulness, his continued mercy and grace, and the things that he had said to Israel. That's character. Right? We could say there are a lot of things that you could take away from these feasts, but if you're wanting to take just one, please take that one. How they underscore the character of God of who he is. And this, friends, is taking the Bible, as we said, on its own terms and not our own. This is knowing God as he has revealed himself. And what I love about this is God didn't just lecture, as we said, his character, right? He created ways for Israel to tangibly experience it, to know it, to remember it, to celebrate it and anticipate it. This is the first thing. Along with this, along with the character of God, the second thing we might imply, or second implication of these feasts is that it reminded Israel that salvation was what? God's work upon their life, not their work upon their life. Salvation, redemption, was God's work upon their life, not their work upon their life. Everything that I just read to you is a picture of grace which is a picture of the gospel. There is nothing here that, that, that God is asking Israel to celebrate that rests on their own shoulders. Who rescued them from Egypt? Who provided for them in the wilderness? Who brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey? Who provided and gave them good gifts all the while? Who atones for their sin? And who is the one who moves into his people to dwell with them forever? That invitation, friends, belongs solemnly to the Lord God Almighty. It is not rested upon in us. We receive that. And that, friends, is grace. It is grace. It is what all of the biblical, uh, the Bible is pointing to and its salvation is wrapped up in. And these feasts are tangible reminders of that. This is, this is God's work of salvation upon their lives. This is not their work of salvation upon their lives. At the same time, though, and I love this, God calls his people to participate. You do have to go to the feast, which often was in Jerusalem. You do have to bring a sacrifice. You do have to engage. It's like if I invite you over to my house for dinner, I'm happy to serve you food. I'd love it if you talk to me and ask me questions too. Right? Wouldn't we all like that? God wants a relationship with his people. And so he builds into this system, right, the, the benefit of participating. Don't look at the table just yet. This is what he wants. 
It's an invitation to say, come to the feast. Come to know my goodness. Come to know the salvation and the redemption that I have for you. Lastly, the implication, the third implication is that faith then through this process is what renewed and it is strengthened. Faith is renewed and it is strengthened. The practice of remembering what God has done, the practice of actually celebrating that in the present, and the practice of anticipating his continued faithfulness based on what we remember and based on what's happening in the present, does what? It strengthens and it renews our faith. Do you think there were times in Israel's history, and you can go back and read it if you're unsure, where they questioned whether God was good or not? Were there not times that we could read about in the Psalms where they cried out, how long, Lord, Lord, are you going to do this for your people? Where are you? And those cries parallel our cries today, which means that just as they need it, we need it too, right? The process of our faith being strengthened and renewed, which is what these festivals pointed to. And you could grab a fourth. This one's free. All of this is time. There are appointed times. And I think there's a great conversation to be had for us today. How are we marking out time? What are we doing with time? Are we a restful, reflective culture or people? Are we a busy, anxious, worrying people? Where do you build in time to sit down and actually reflect on the things that God has said that he's done, that he has done in your life? Where do you celebrate that? Where do you anticipate the further goodness of him as well? Which begs the question, how are we being reminded of these things today? How are we celebrating, how are we anticipating God's character, his faithfulness, his mercy, and his grace over and over and over again as Israel was throughout the year. And the answer is Jesus. (laughs) It's rest in the one the festivals point to. It's in knowing Jesus in the feasts. This is how we're going to remember. This is how we're gonna celebrate. And this is how we're going to anticipate the faithfulness and the goodness of God. This is how we're going to stop. This is how the anxiety is going to go down. Not clinical anxiety, not talking about that, just talking about worry. This is is how you're going to be shaped into a people who know the Lord by resting in the one that the feasts point to, which is Jesus. And how does he point, how, is, how did the feast point to them? How is he the fulfillment? And you know the story, you know this story better than the one that we said earlier in the Old Testament, right? right? Beginning with the Passover, when was Jesus sacrificed? The day of Passover. And in, 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 in that word, right, you hear John the Baptist say, as he sees Jesus coming to start his ministry, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to what? Take away the sins of the world. Nobody knew what he was talking about. Until the day of Passover, until Jesus' time had come where it wouldn't be another lamb coming to be slain and blood being put on the doors of the houses. It would be the Son of God whose blood would be slain for his people. That's where it starts. And then in his death, right, the festival of unleavened bread 
where your sanctification, your holiness changed because sin is atoned for. And now in his death, in his burial, Paul tells us that you are now buried with him, which means you have new life because of him. Leaving the old behind now and moving forward with what Christ has given you. But, but, but is it true? Is it real? And this is where we get to resurrection, which is what? First fruits. Paul says this um, in 1 Corinthians 15, excuse me. But in, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. What? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What Jesus is saying, what the Bible is saying, right, is all the things, right, that, that, that God, and God's provision and, and, and God's care and his promise to do what he's going to do. When we look to Jesus as a fulfillment of that and in his resurrection, we see him as what the ultimate first fruits harvest, promising what? A harvest to follow with his church. I'll move on. The 50 days after, right, we get to the book of Acts, second chapter. What happens 50 days after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension is Pentecost. And this, of course, in the festival was a celebration of God's good gifts to his people, um, primarily physically in the grain offering. But what is it this time? It's his Holy Spirit given to his people just in the Old Testament, as well as God gave the gift of his law to his people. So here he would use the Holy Spirit to write the law on the hearts of his people. What could be better than the Spirit of God, who among other things applies the very salvation that Jesus has won? And friends, if this is true, and it is, then we have an announcement to make. As his people, we have a trumpet to blast, as it were of the good news of the gospel, that is this salvation. That's what's next. And what is that news? Substitutionary atonement, or the gospel, that Jesus has come to die for you. And what is the fruit of that? A constitute a new community of God's people that he will come and live with and dwell with forever. The festival of booths. I can't make this up. And I'll go so far as to say is whoever did make this up should be worshipped. Y'all know how crazy this is? It's taking God on his own terms. It's taking him and his word. This is true. You want to know who God is? The Bible is saying, you want to know who he is? You want, to, you want to see his character? You want to believe in his goodness? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. You want to know what he has done for you, what it means to be redeemed? Look at the cross of Jesus, look at his death and his resurrection, the lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world. You want to know how your faith can be strengthened and renewed. See Jesus as everything these feasts and these festivals pointed to, which is to see Jesus as God's provision and his good gift to you. 
I'd be remiss to say that for those who don't believe, there is, just in the festivals, for those who don't go, there is the, there, there is, there is the command, there, there is the promise of those who would be cut off. And so there, there is built into this, believe. Believe. For those who go to him, he will never cut you off. But I want to leave you with, with something different, which that, that needs to be dealt with. Do you want to know what God thinks of you? Look at Jesus. Look at what he has done for you. Look at the way that he has gone uh, to communicate, not just his character, not just, not just to fulfill his redemption, uh, not just in the ways that he's going to strengthen your faith, faith, but in the way that he desires to know you and to bring you together with him for all eternity. That is something, friends, worth remembering. That is something worth celebrating. And that is certainly something worth anticipating uh, until he returns or we go to see him. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, there is so much wrapped up in your word, and there's no surprise there. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would make this food for us, that we would meditate on, anticipate, think about what are the implications of these feasts, whether we're, we're struggling to believe right now, whether we believe and, and we just feel like we don't really know who you are. Yes, we've read the New Testament, but how much fuller of a sense do we get of who Jesus is when we see him in the, New T- in the Old Testament? Would you do that for us? Would you bring us into bigger pictures of what it means uh, for you to be faithful, for you to be good, for you to be merciful and gracious? And would you point us to Jesus that we may see that and know that and know you because of him? We ask this in his name. Amen.